Hi. Hey, so how we, are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good as well. So we're talking about exercise and I know from our last conversation, our last podcast, which is diet, mm. somewhere in the summary or conclusion is everyone need to exercise differently because I think the last conclusion is everyone need to eat differently. So I'm going right. to ask you a different question yeah. <laughs> to, to, to begin with, because at the moment I seem to observe either we don't move enough mm. or we move too much. Right. Where is the balance? Well, I, I think I like, I like your question about too much or also too little as well, because in life we have this, this sort of this, this sort of question about doing things, but also are we doing things physically or are we doing things mentally? I want to just pose the question around a different way and say, what's actually best for us? Is yoga best for us or exercise best for us? Um, because I think that when we're looking at things like too much or too little, and, and as a, a yoga therapist, one thing is that when people come to us and they often come to us with injuries, we have to ask the question is, what is going on with them that they have either done too much or what is happening that they've actually lost use of the body that they've done too little that they've got a an issue because of this and then finally is there kind of like the third question that we sort of look at when we're looking at issues physical issues within the body is that we're sort of looking at is there an, an, an imbalance within the body in a particular way? So like a scoliosis or something like this that's created the effect. So in a way, I think that your question about exercise, um, you know, do we exercise too much or move too much or to move too little is, is for me part of the diagnosis aspect of things. It's looking at we've got a, a situation um, and for some people they do. They push too much and they just do too much. And for other people, they have a sedentary lifestyle. I think I'd like to sort of go back a little um, and go right the way back a lot, because if we sort of start to think about, you know, why do we need to exercise? Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, you know, what, what's the purpose of exercise? Why, why do we actually need to exercise? Because from my perspective, when I'm looking at the evolution of yoga as a philosophy and I'm looking at it as a complete philosophy and it's a method for actually achieving and maintaining health and well-being and mm. I, I would i would almost imagine that when these ideas and also other philosophical perspectives of life were being put together um a long time ago um almost when they were being sort of investigated conceived and um, practiced i think people led very very different lives physically you know, they wasn't sitting around at desks for hours. Um, you know, so there wasn't the back pain and stiffness in the upper shoulders and neck. There was no Instagram. Um, there was no sitting in traffic jams for hours and hours and hours. Um, there was also no processed foods. Um, and I would say there was no internet. So the daily life, I think, would be very different. And actually, would they be able, through the actual physicality of life, get all the exercise that they needed? And... And what they got from yoga, I think, would be something slightly different from that of everyday physical life. So I would sort of want to sort of say, well, what does physical exercise give us? Why do we need physical exercise? Because and how what's this got to do with yoga and the comparison between yoga and physical exercise? Hmm. I thought I'm looking at it very simply 
it's almost like because as human beings we are part of the animal kingdoms mm. animal comes from the word like in the same root of animated which means full of life full of, mm. kind of physical almost expression the expression of movements kind of like in animations in uh, cartoons and things like that and that's what i think where the word come from so i guess the movement itself is part of the expression how we are full of life internally we need to move we need to actually move quite regularly um it's actually good for our health not to be sedentary for too long even just at sitting or in traffic jams as you said or in front of a desk job it, it, it goes and shows actually it helps to reduce about uh, sorry regular physical exercise help to reduce about 83 percent of osteoporosis I'm sorry, osteoarthritis even, 68% of hip fractures, 50% of type 2 diabetes, colonic cancer, 35% of coronary heart disease and stroke. So that's actually quite a, stat- quite a lot of statistics showing, almost from the end result point of view, why we need to move. So in, in, so in fact, almost in a way, exercise is a very good solution when there are conditions that are inherent within the body. Yeah. Um, but I really like your approach because you're almost coming from the beginning. Like, why do we need to move? Yeah, because because in one way we've got our lifestyle, and our lifestyle originally was was wasn't one in the way that it is now. Mm. So there is more of a more of a need to exercise, but there is a almost there's a combination of things that are happening. Is that there is sort of overlaps that are going on between exercise and yoga and many people let's 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 just be really honest about this many people when you actually you you talk about yoga the first thing they identify with is a physical practice you know physical movement that's what they yeah they don't they tend to think this they they tend to sort of turn around they think about you think yoga you think flexibility you think positions um we think about exercise and we think about yoga as being exercise and I think that that thinking itself, and I, I come across quite a number of people and say, you know, I, I I work with yoga as a therapy, and they say, well, I'm I'm not flexible enough. I'm not able to do yoga, and we have a joke about it. And I just turn around and say, well, you know, what Jessica Char used to say to me, he said, well, if you can breathe, you can do yoga, um, and I think that is a very important thing. Now, is you know, moving the body and how we move the body and what we do with the body, I think is a, is a very important question. But how does yoga differ from exercise? What are the benefits of exercise? What, what happens in the exercise that we do to reduce osteoporosis? What happens to help with diabetes? What is it that exercise is actually doing to the body? And why can yoga be exercise? Or how can yoga be different from exercise? And which is best, yoga or exercise? Well, I think... There's component within yoga that is exercise because that's the physical practice, isn't it? That's the physical posture where in some way, some or at least in some community, in some group, in some classes, it can be used as a physical exercise. And there are benefits from that because over recently we were working together, weren't we? Quite physically, we were actually moving quite a lot of heavy stuff together. And actually uh, I ended up getting some stiffness and bruises here and there. And then I went to a yoga class after. And it was really, really helpful because the flow of the movement that in putting my body in a different kind of unusual postures, like one leg forward, one leg backwards, both arms up and both arms out, and then breathe at the same time actually was helpful for me to almost like warm down from all the physical labor that I've done. 
And sometimes it also helps when I have been sitting around all day in front of the desk as I work now, or previously if I've been standing for a very long time, or I've been running around like a headless chicken as I always do. Actually, there are always some sort of physical posture sometimes being put into a specific sequence, actually physically is very helpful to me. So does that part of yoga count as exercise? Mm, but is it yoga or is it just exercise? And actually, am I just adopting these things and actually calling them? And I'm, am I, what's the difference between stretching and doing these things? You know, so so there's the, the, for me, there has to be a difference um, within this. And I, I think the, the, the first question for me is that, that what you know what is yoga and the answer to that is you know it's it's exactly the same as meditation so yoga and meditation are the same thing but it's often we want to separate them out into different areas so you've got your yoga and then you've got your meditation but actually they're both one and the same we, you know we categorize them differently but they're actually the same mm. so really what we're doing is we we're using different tools that are actually exercises whether they're exercises for the body or exercises for the mind that allow us to evolve in our life to move forward from let's say an unconscious distracted pattern to a, 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 a an aware stable observant pattern of our mind so yoga is a is a complete beautiful philosophy for living and one of the smallest aspects of it is these physical exercises but these physical exercises if they're done in a particular way are they exercise or are they yoga and what's the difference between this so what's the, what, what's going on within this does that make sense yes so i'm i'm just wondering because when you say meditation mm. especially how i've learned it sometime in the west almost immediately jumping into my head, someone sitting down, cross-legged or a lotus position, hands on the lap, fingers together, closing the eye, and then almost maybe even making a little bit of a sound. That mm. is kind of what jumps to mind straight away. But actually how you explain is also a process of observing an unconscious pattern that's held in the body and maybe in some way we can create new patterns. Makes me wonder, can we do meditation in movement or does it always have to be like in a seated position? Like, is, what, is there any more light on that definition? Well, let's jump into meditation in a moment. I think let's, let's look at um, actually the pattern that we've got. Because the the pattern that we've got is a very interesting thing because we we have a relationship with our body and through our body movement and when we're using physical positions we're looking to use the body in a way that we don't normally use it and so we're looking to discover something about ourselves it's like when a, a dancer is doing yoga they are actually what they're doing is they've got the pattern of actually doing a movement but they take that pattern and it looks like they're doing a physical yoga position but they're actually replicating the pattern that's inside themselves into that position does that make sense yes because i actually recently been to a yoga class that was led by a really good yoga teacher but she also is a dancer so actually right. the practice itself is very 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 focused on the physicality and he we did a lot of interesting thing mm, but if you jump back and you think about when people say about yoga and they think about flexibility and they think about postures and they think about exercise 
that's actually an inherent pattern that we have. And we transfer that pattern again and again into different situations. We see something and we see, oh, that's exactly, it, it, it's the same. So I'm a dancer, I can do this. And we take that approach within it. But it's about the mind and it's about being and it's about the patterns that we have and it's about the relationships we have with ourselves. Now, Krishnamacharya, who we know is the grandfather of yoga, taught Desikachar in a very interesting way. He says, in order to do a physical position, you've got to breathe. Now, we've come across this many times before. Um, you know, in classes, inhale, raise your arms up, exhale, fold forwards, inhale, step back, or, you know, move and breathe. Remember to breathe. Remember to breathe. So we come across this quite a bit. But Desika Char taught us something quite differently. He said, in order to sort of separate this, it, we need to create and work to identify the pattern of how we come to do something. And to do this, we start everything with a pause and then begin to breathe and then we begin to move and then we finish the movement and then we finish the breath and then we pause and by enveloping the whole of the movement in breathing what we tend to discover is we tend to discover a lot about ourselves and it separates us from exercising because we begin to understand and be about our patterning about the way that we interact we are involved completely with our mind and our body and our breath within this. So is it, there's a complete difference in approach with this. Does that make sense? I may have to ask the question. So what's the difference between starting the breath first and then movement versus moving and maybe start the breath after or moving and breathing at the same time? What was the difference between the two? the involvement and the engagement of the mind and also the link that you have with the nervous system you see if your breath actually envelops the whole of the movement you'll begin to understand exactly about how you push things how you interact with yourself and you'll see that actually your breath won't lie to you and it will protect your body it means that you will end up with no pain, no pain, rather than a pushing forwards. And if you think about physical exercise, in fact, what you're looking to do is increase the heart rate, aren't you? Yeah, always. Right. But in yoga, it's completely the opposite. Actually, we measure on yoga, we measure our existence through the number of heartbeats that we actually have. Mm. Do you see what I mean? So the slower the heartbeats, the less heartbeats we have, the longevity, the longer we're supposed to live. So what we're doing is, in fact, by these movements and by working with breathing, we're beginning to understand about how we create a resilience in the nervous system, how we've got an edge with regard to pushing something, how we understand a little bit more about ourselves. You know, quite often we aren't aware of ourselves and we aren't aware about how we are doing something. But by enveloping everything in the breath, but also having the pause, which gives you the capacity to observe, you start to evolve. I think you should do something very interesting here because it's almost telling me it's actually about reducing the stress to the system because mm -hmm. the raising of the heart rate kind of means, to me at least, is the activating of the sympathetic nervous system. It's a stress response. We usually yeah. do that when we are scared. Sometimes when we're really, really happy too, but usually it's when we're really scared, we're frightened, we are nervous about something. Mm. That, that, 
it's kind of tend to be what is giving you the palpitation or the beating of the heart like really, really loudly, really palpably, mm-hmm. especially when you're anxious. So actually, in some way, I'm interpreting it as don't stress the system too, too much. And it actually, that will give you longevity. Right. And and Krishnamacharya also broke things. And the, the reference for this is Yogarahasya. Um, this is the text. And Krishnamacharya broke um, these areas down into four different areas. Um, actually, at different stages of life, we need to focus on different things. So at an early stage of life, when we're younger, we want to reduce fear. So we want to reduce fear. We want to increase our strength. We want to increase our flexibility. We want to begin to understand how we can work with our body. So almost the practices, the physical practices that we do in early stage of life need to start to develop these things. And that forms a foundation for us. Yoga practice at a slightly later stage of life will look to refine this a little bit more. It's about using them, looking at the most efficient and effective way of actually coming to do something. So refining and finding the edges to the actual physical structure that we're coming to operate in. And then we get to another stage of life, which is actually we're using physical positions to maintain what we've got, not to push something, but to create a reduction of physical issues with more breathing for the nervous system. So I think that if we start to break it out into these different areas, we start to see that there are approaches that are needed based on the stages of life that we're at. And so when we're talking about the nervous system and reducing the heartbeat, I think that we're looking really at the stage of life to maintain things and to protect what we've got. I was going to say, thank you for clarifying, Usually in the West, when we talk about building strength and building flexibility, there will usually be a bit of stressing in the system. That mm-hmm. means there's usually some sort of vigorous exercise that to raise the heart rate. That's kind of how we measure the vigorousness of the exercise. So at some stage of life, especially earlier stage, they can be useful. But maybe as we're maintaining the body more and more and the health more and more, maybe we need to look at not stressing the body as much. Right. Uh, but you can also see how we start to create patterns at an early stage of life and how we then adopt those patterns through the other stages of life and then how that can create combinant complications for us later on in life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how we compare ourselves to other people, how we compete with other people in order to do the best downward-facing dog and actually rather than doing something that works for us with our breathing, you know, to find some independence within all of this, I think is important. Hmm. So it's almost getting lesson from someone else so that you learn the benefit, but at the same time, not holding on to the words themselves mm. Mm. or the instruction. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. So in, does that is really good philosophy from a slightly different time to modern day? How does that philosophy apply to the current day then because as you described in the beginning our lifestyle has changed so much since then it in some way a lot of people would say is current day society is much more distracting there's a lot more stress our nervous system is much more stimulated um we are constantly running around we're spreading ourselves very very thin there's a lot of pressure on us is that comparable to what when they these philosophies original originate from or do the practice have to change slightly as well 
I think that practices are constantly evolving. And I also think that there is something that's lost with each generation or each transmission of practice, but also something that is gained based on where our society is. Hmm. So in a way, I, I would say that, you know, yoga is evolving and yoga is changing, but there are roots with regard to it. Hmm. And for me, I see those roots with regard to spirituality the evolution of the mind and also the maintenance of the body and mm. i see that as a sort of a a, a consistent I, I ask i seem to come across quite a lot of people that have in a way they get to a point yoga really works for them for a short amount of time but then suddenly it doesn't work for them anymore mm. almost they hit a ceiling with regard to yoga and yoga knowledge and yoga development and yoga evolution and they feel they have to train in a different way or do something something else other than yoga because the approach that they have taken on and the approach that they're taking within it is the approach that they've been taught in the past so they approach yoga in the way that they know rather than actually approach yoga through yoga's eyes mm. So the practice itself hasn't evolved right. within yoga. But I do feel like sometimes actually doing something else can inform a yoga practice as well. Because I, I I use myself as an example. You know, I kind of not struggled, but I always have to work a little bit more in inversions, especially in class, like yoga inversions. So if I balance myself on my arms or my shoulders, I always have to work a little bit harder and don't always get in get the right balance. But there was a period of time when I started uh, bouldering, started climbing. Actually, that taught me a lot about how I work with my upper body. So actually, then when I come back to my yoga practice, my physical yoga practice, actually, that helped me a lot in my inversion and balancing and arm balancing because I learn a slightly different way of using my upper body. So I do feel like maybe is there sometime can you learn a slightly different discipline or exercise or activity? Actually, then it help and inform. This is for me one of the most amazing things about taking a path of yoga is that e each time we learn something, it, it, it leads to transferable skills if we genuinely learn something. So if what's happening is that, let's say, I step out of my environment, I study yoga, I come back into my environment, I've got and should have skills that transfer completely into my new environment. Hmm. And this transferable skill thing shows that we've actually evolved. So there isn't a competition. There isn't any conflict between yoga and our existence in our society and the way that we're working. It's actually if we are doing yoga practice where there is an understanding of breath and awareness of what we're doing, then what's happening is that we're looking to evolve ourselves. So there is a, a deeper aspect to it. Hmm. I look at all the interviews um, between, let's say, Patabi Joyce and Iyengar and um, Desika Char. There was a there's numbers of different interviews, and this the fundamental question that was asked for them was this thing: What is the difference between the yoga you're teaching and exercise? And as they go through it, each of them gave different ideas. You know, they would they would give different ideas. They would give you know different answers to this. You know, Patabi Joyce would say, you know, he would say yoga is not physical. This is very very wrong. Hmm. And, but yet the practice, the Ashtanga Vinyasa practice is taught is incredibly physical for some people. Mm. Um, but he would say, you know, yoga can go very deep and touch the soul of man. 
Um, but he's also said that it can be used as an external exercise. So I find his answer very interesting, but I also find Iyengar's answer interesting as well. So the you know the question is what is the difference between the physical practice I was doing, the practice of exercise, and on what level is it different from normal physical practice? And Iyengar says, you know, at first they would appear to be identical. You know, this this yoga practice and these other things on the outside they look to be identical. But what is it that yoga really has that's different, especially with regard to the influence on the body and also the impact on the mind? And Iyengar says that there's an intelligence there, a, a deeper intelligence to penetrate the activity that you're actually doing so that it's not a sort of a gymnastics or, you know, there's something much, much deeper behind it. And that helps you to develop intellectually. Mm. And Desika Char, when he was asked, he he sort of he started to explain about these physical practices as different forms of energy working with each other and against each other, which moves away from it being the physical. And the physical is just the actual function, sorry, the form that affects the function. Mm -hmm. So we take a form of something to affect a function, and it becomes a different idea. So when I started to sort of investigate what these other teachers have said these these teachers who have influenced us so much with regard to the idea of yoga the idea of you know vinyasa the idea of vinyoga, yoga ashtanga yoga ayenga yoga all of them every one of them was alluding to that there's something more something much much deeper within this and how do we actually access this how do we differentiate between these physical activities, these movements that we can do, yes, we can stay in a position and we can call it restorative, we can call it yin, we can call it whatever we want to call it. But how does it, if we stay in a position, how do we operate in that position? So it becomes yoga. And also, if we're moving, how do we operate within that movement that it moves from being just that physical movement to actually being yoga? And I think that all of these things, this is what is the difference between yoga and exercise. I really like that answer. I'm going to kind of follow up with more questions because mm. I'm really interested in this idea of there's a deeper intelligence mm. underneath that, I think you say, is Iyengar. Because I almost felt like that the intelligence that he's talking about is not the intelligence that we usually measure is not the iq that we're measuring it's not how many books you've read how much information you've retained i mm. i almost felt like there's something deeper about it. It, it it's it's a deeper knowing um desica char said that you know the thing that we're battling all the time is not knowing and so really what we're doing in this process of taking our body in different positions we're actually preparing ourselves to battle not knowing head on. Mm. So a lot of these different positions are just preparation in order for us to come to set. So like you said, with meditation. Mm. So I'm bringing this back in again, because actually these different positions, when this child taught us, he said, you know, basically there's only 10 yoga positions that you 
you know, are actually need. Hmm. The rest of them are just preparation for those 10 positions. Hmm. That's what I also found interesting as well, is that when we start to break out all the different movements, all the different postures, all the different names of these positions, we break them out again and again and again. And we look at them, we start to move those names to one side. We look at, we move the forms to one side. We start to look at the functions of them. There are only a few functions that we actually need to maintain and protect the body. Mm. So I think a lot of the time we use them in practice, sometimes twisting, sometimes opening and closing the body. Like, a, is there a back bend or front opening versus mm. a falling forward? Then focusing on different parts of the body, mainly in the torso. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. So there is underlying all of the different positions. There are certain functions that each position gives. And I think this is this approach where we start to look at our existence through yoga's eyes. Mm. So we start to look at our existence through the different dimensions that yoga says that we operate on, whether it's a physical or an energetic or a mental or a belief or emotional or a spiritual dimension. And we look at the intertwining of those things. And we also look at the impact of the activities that we're doing into that dimension, I think that we start to uncover something interesting. Hmm. We start to begin to become aware of the impact of the activities that we're coming to do. And these are all made possible if we start enveloping our movement with our breath and also within the pause, well, on either side, to kind of bookend. Correct. You begin to discover something about yourself because your breath never lies, neither does your heart rate. You know, mm. so when, when we're assessing people, you know, you know, when yeah. we go through that assessment with people, you feel their pulse. You know, the person will tell you, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's really OK. And I'm feeling their pulse in the, and, and their pulse is, ding, 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 ding. you know, you, you can see what's happening. Yeah. You no, know, the I, system tells you. It tells and I really you. agree about the breath as well, because in medicine, actually, we said when someone's getting distressed or getting ill, their breath, uh, their respiratory rate is the first thing that goes off. Mm. you can i absolutely agree you tell everything from the breath so i think when we come back to look at exercise and which is best exercise or yoga or can yoga be exercise or is exercise yoga i think that in one way we've got a starting point and when we do anything we start it based on the patterns and the knowledge that we have you know, so I go in with my memory, I go in with my imagination, I compare myself to someone else. I go, well, their shoulder stand or the headstand or their warrior position is, is better than mine. Look what someone else is doing. And so we start to adopt, we go into it with our patterning, with our pushing our desires or our, oh, I can never do that. You know, I, I can't, I can't do yoga, not flexible enough. We go in with our fears. But that's also another patterning that's quite common as well, which is trying to maintaining the ability of doing the same thing again and again and again over time, isn't there? Because I, I very often hear it in clinic, but also kind of sometimes I don't really go to a gym, but whenever I go to the gym, it's like, well, I used to be able to lift that much or bench that much. I used to be able to run that much, swim that speed. Why can't I anymore? So that seems to be always a desire that we want to have the same ability again and again as we age and it was that what that was interesting because earlier on you said actually we need to move our practice through a different stage in life where sometimes 
in the beginning is more about fear, building confidence, and sometimes it's about strengthening, sometimes and then is moving towards maintenance. How do we work with that pattern? We want to stay the same or stay, well, more, more crudely to say, stay young forever. Hmm. Well, there's an approach we take. So either we change ourselves cosmetically because it's to, it's easy to change the outside because actually we look at the outside a lot. So we can get fat sucked out. We can change lots of different things. Oh, yeah, but, but we can do it without actually doing any work at all. In fact, probably you can, there's a, probably an app you can get now where you can actually outsource your yoga practice and still get the benefits from it as well as various different other offsets as well that you can get as part of the a join-up a join fee. Um, this is the other thing is that you need to do the work. Mm. And quite often we look back and we kind of go, like you say, I used to be able to do this. You know, I used to be able to, you know, stand and drop back and come back up to stand again and then do you know we had to do all these different things i used to be able to do those things now do i hold on to the age that i was do i hold on to the past as it was do i hold on to the person that i was and is that different from the age i am now the person that i am now the responsibilities that i have now the wisdom that i have now the evolution that i can go through and is there a gap between those two things, between who I actually am and who I used to be and who I want to be? And we start to see these kind of fragments of these gaps between within the interaction that we're coming to do with ourselves through physical positions. Sorry. Because there was there's also this kind of conversation about transformation as well. Because what you just said reminded me of a conversation I had with a dear friend who also is a yoga teacher and a very strong yoga practitioner. And um, she got to a stage of life where she wanted to become a mother and she got pregnant. And one of the questions that we kind of keep discussing back and forth a lot is, should she be continuing with her handstand, with her inversion? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, actually, there are loads and loads of evidence and loads and loads of studies and loads and loads of data or teaching a method. And that's loads of things that have been said one way or another, rather you should or shouldn't, sometimes matter of fact, sometimes point of view, there's loads of things out there. But ultimately, I, I kind of, in the end, I kind of sort of posed the question, why do you want to keep practicing handstand? Like what, what is the purpose of it? And she said, it's something actually really powerful because she has worked for it for so long. She worked so hard into actually being able to balance the whole of her body weight onto her hands, which take a lot of practice because it takes a lot of strength, flexibility in the shoulders, you know, actually looking at the world in a different point of view. So she's very proud of that and she wants to maintain it. And I was like, ah, that's actually really useful insight because Yes, you work so hard in something and you want to carry on. You want to be able to kind of almost showcase this on every now and then. Mm. But then there's a change in your identity because she wanted to become a mother. She wanted to transform into a different role in life. So I was wondering, I was only posing the question, and I don't know what the conclusion really is, is can we keep everything we had as our role in life transform? Or does what we can do or able to do or capable to do has to change as well because we now have to fit into new roles or new parts or new time in our life. Dizaka Char would answer this question by saying, what is the priority? Mm. And is the priority your handstand or is the priority your role as being a mother? So much more eloquent than I am. 
Well, he, he was, he was very, very clear, very, very clear, because actually everything is, everything you need to know about the person that wants to hold on to their handstand, but also wants to be a mother is caught up in the battle that they have between the two. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're working on when we're working on physical positions, mm. working on, again, this understanding of ourselves, we're understanding about our desires. We're understanding about all these different things. Hmm. So is there a way that you can actually use exercise as yoga? Because we kind of talked how, 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 what yoga really means and how you can actually practice. Can some people say, I don't know, a runner run yogically is that is that a phrase i don't know because sometimes the, i ask the questions because you hear a lot like marathon runners you know people who maybe swim for a long time they actually always say you get to a stage where you almost meditating now you know i'm not a runner so i have no idea i don't know if you have any experience or if any of the students have this experience in the past There's a quote um, that I really love within the text called the Bhagavad Gita. It says that yoga is skill in action. Uh -huh. And when there is, when you're creating an activity where there is not that you're automated, when you're separated from yourself, so there isn't a kind of like a separation in a way. There is more of an integration into yourself. You're at a, a very high level of skill which means that the whole of the body, the whole of your being is involved within that activity. Mm. Then this is skill in action. Mm. Is it easy to mistake in between the two? Because sometimes being totally integrated or actually dissociated, can it feel similar? I, I should ask you as a psychiatrist. <laughs> Damn, I thought I could pass off the <laughs> question to you. <laughs> uh, well, I, sh I, I, I should ask you that because it, it, for me, yeah, let me ask you that question. I think it's a difficult one that I, I ask because when, when you have described integration, like total integration, almost for like you are inside a being, inside our own being and actually be able to see and feel everything. Hmm. But sometimes when people are dissociating and as a psychiatrist, I, you know, have case study or, you know, people telling me how it feels like, because I never really felt it myself. But it's almost like you are able to see yourself from a slightly different perspective. You are out of your body almost and you're seeing everything that's happening. So there's almost some similarity. But I guess I'm guessing here in the actual experience of it is different because in the integration, I... I almost hear that there will be a certain peace or joy from it where you actually feel good, whilst dissociation often stem from a really unpleasant experience. That's why your body and mind need to protect itself and be separated from it. Right. And that is the outcome is the answer. Because actually it's why we know that we're going in a good direction in life, because actually things are getting better. It, you know, there's a reduction in the suffering that we've got, all the issues that we're finding ourselves in. And what you've mentioned within the psychiatric case is that they're not. The cycles are just repeating themselves. And the person then transfers all the things again and again into the different scenarios. 
I'm glad I see. It seems like I have answered that question. <laughs> 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 okay you need so, the answer anyway um, so we you've got two choices what are you going to go for are you going to go for vigorous vinyasa class or are you going to go for the vino and vinyasa class <laughs> vino but not the wino <laughs> um can i wimp out and say maybe we need different things different time because sometimes the vigorous one is what you need in order to be able to settle later on and sometimes a more calm still one actually is exactly what you need straight away but how do we know again i remember one of the trainings that i did and one of the questions that started at the beginning of the training and the, and the students kept asking the question how do we know what we need you know how do i know what i need you know tell me what i need it shows a lack of awareness hmm I was going to say, I think that question tells you about someone so much already. Mm. Because it's when someone really doesn't know what's happening within themselves, then actually the first thing to do is to raise awareness is time and time again tell mm. what's happening. Because like today, I met with someone who is suffering quite strong case of depression. So really significantly sad. It's affecting a lot of parts of her life, like memories, like food, sleep, energy concentration everything and she asked me time and time again in many many different ways like I don't know what's happening to me I feel like I'm drowning but I don't mm. know what's happening to me and actually telling her it sounds like you are really really sad because of certain things that has happened to you in your life and trigger something which might have already been there or it has been created because of what's happened mm. and as you have told me I had to kind of tell her in so many different ways and tell her again and again to kind of link it, show her almost like the evidence that you told me actually proved that you are suffering from depression and low mood at the moment. But we can try to look at it from a different angle again. And I think sometimes that is quite a hard bit because when people don't have the awareness, showing them is quite hard. Because mm, it has to come from them because you can't show someone something. So I was talking about this with someone earlier on today I, I was saw a case yesterday of someone that was dreadfully upset about their pet dying I mean horrifically upset about their pet dying and you know so worried that you know the, the family were all doctors and they said can you talk to Colin and began talking and a few years ago, we discovered that one of her friends died and mm. she saw the whole thing and it was sort of underlying and all under there. However, the focus was on the pet dying. Mm. And we have to bridge the gap as a therapist between these two points. The use of the body and the body and how the body is able to help us with this becomes very important mm. because the body forms part of the process that we need to go through to help to get the awareness and the link within that. Mm. And so we ask the person to do different movements and different breathing techniques and different exercises, all slightly separated from each other 
that can then help the person to join the dots together so that actually by the end of the session they say do you think this is linked to my friend dying mm. so how we can use movement and and these this is yoga as an exercise yoga exercise but not exercise mm. as in you not exercising. Mean? yeah mm. it's more the exercise for the mind how to join the dots rather than the physical right. expression itself in its pure form exactly and i think that is the deep intelligence that we're talking about uncovering and it's these links that we're looking to put together for ourselves to increase our awareness and I, I think in a lot of ways, this is why I quite enjoy working working with you and learning with you about yoga therapy as well, because I think sometimes those, and a lot of the times, actually very useful to be able to have the tools of using exercise, physical mm-hmm. expression and breath to actually help to bridge the gap. Because as you know, I do sometimes do psychotherapy as well. And it's actually quite hard to keep telling people, like the case I've just said, share, it's quite hard to keep telling people things that they don't want to express themselves or they don't want to say themselves, whereas actually having a different medium or different tool to get them to do that and come to that realisation is very, very useful. Right. And that, I think, is one of the special things about using these tools because we can put those in this way. Mm. It has to it has to change a pattern. You know, it's one of the purposes of using a physical tool. It, it, you know, the body has its own pattern. Quite often we're not aware of that pattern, but we need to put a new pattern into the body. Mm. We've got the capacity to be aware as we put a new pattern into that can change an old pattern. And I think for me that is crucial. So almost if you have a yoga student or a yoga teacher even coming in as a case study, do you have to work extra hard to find a different pattern for them? Because in a lot of ways, they are so used to the names and the terminology and the postures and how they hold themselves. Do you have to, what? how, how do you change it for them? Because that is quite difficult when they are already familiar, familiar with the postures and asanas. Correct. And what they'll do is they will... I had someone recently that came in who was a yoga therapist and had a lot of tension in upper back, neck and shoulders and enjoyed shaking it out in a free flowing downward facing dog. And in a way, the weight and the pressure on the hands up into the arms, into the neck and shoulders, increased the tension in that area. Mm. And so when this was explained, they understood this and started to go, okay, so there's a different way of working. And Mm. we have to explain things to help someone very, very simply, show them and give them an example, and then show them the direction, how they can move forwards. Mm. Quite often we do things because we're told this is how you come to do it. So these are the positions that you do. This is how you come to do it. This is the formula for this. This is the formula for that. This is what you must do to do this, to do that, to do the other. But actually, sometimes what we do exacerbates, increases the issue that we have. Mm -hmm. And quite often, we just need someone else that can look at us and just turn around and go, hang on a second, trust yourself. Mm. 
And I think that was quite important thing that I learned as well from a yoga practice together is actually the feeding back bit is also very important. Once you've done something, there's a process of feeding back what has just happened, what was the experience. Because sometimes, I don't know, in an hour class, you kind of finish, maybe you rest a little bit in the end and then kind of go take a shower and then go to do the next thing. There, there wasn't as much of a pause afterwards to reflect. Hmm. Hmm. So is yoga best practice by yourself or always under guidance? Because now I'm now I'm thinking which one is better? Because we one we need to trust ourselves. Mm. But sometimes when we're working alone, there are certain, I don't know, traps or potholes that we kind of got into. So when do we need to do it ourselves or do we need to actually be able to follow guidance or both? So we find ourselves in an interesting situation here because in one way we want to be with other people. You know, we want to go on this journey with other people. I think going on this journey with other people is important because we have people we can talk to, we have comrades, we've got people that we can go along with us. But we also have to be ourselves. And this battle with doing things ourselves and actually self-practice and working to adjust ourselves and to learn about ourselves and be independent on ourselves is a very, very difficult thing. So we do need guidance, but we need support, not from the front, but from behind with regard to what we're doing. What I mean by support from behind is that someone has our back. Someone helps us with our direction. Mm. But yet doesn't want anything more from us. Someone is there to guide us carefully, but not to be, you know, you have to look at what I'm doing. You have to do the same as me. We have to do things differently. And that's actually the art of yoga, is that we have to do all of these different exercises differently because we are different. But yet we still have a commonality with other people and we have a transferable skill that we can move from bit to bit that helps us to engage better with ourselves and for other people and with other people as well. Mm. I think I explained this so 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 well is how how to actually find your own individuality sometimes even with the same practice because you have that certain freedom within it to actually be able to express mm. and experience and to reflect and then to refine what we do mm. whilst following instructions maybe it's important, especially sometimes physically, so that you being, you know, it's we're stopped from injuring ourselves because someone else may notice something that we don't. Hmm. Rather than the instruction is for, I don't know, the gain of someone someone else because they profit or benefit from, from it for some reason. So I think the starting point is yes, follow the instruction of someone else. Hmm. But I think that then there becomes a change in the way that the rules are in order for you to evolve. Follow less. Mm. I guess in some ways, it's almost like an inverse diagram where in the beginning, when you when the awareness and knowledge of ourself is less, you need to follow more. As that mm -hmm. knowledge and awareness become more, 
you follow less of others because you can slowly follow yourself. Right. Hmm. So to summarize, um, your which is best, yoga or exercise? Can yoga be exercise? Can exercise be yoga? What what's our what's our finding from today? I mean, I I I love the fact that we were able to separate out and say, well, actually, exercise is brilliant. You know, was it was this like eighty three percent of you know, and, and you gave lists of conditions and I was arthritis, yeah, arthritis, and, and and you know, so many different conditions that benefit from exercise, and in fact, in a way. You know, can yoga be exercise? Yes. Can you can exercise be yoga? Yes. Hmm. Do you see, almost in a way, there's a starting point. And I think to evolve something into yoga, like an exercise to become a meditative practice, there has to be a skill and a mastery. But I can get that skill and that mastery by beginning to work with yoga, and then I can evolve it forwards and and develop it as well. Do you see what I mean? So for me. I think it's to be clear on what yoga is and also what we're doing, why we're doing it, the purpose of what we're doing, and it has to evolve. Hmm. I will almost say, I think, I think exercise is needed, hmm. especially from Western medicine point of view, it is needed. Nowadays, hmm. we're saying that we need a balance between vigorous exercise, moderate exercise, and strengthening exercise to properly maintain the body in so many different ways. And I agree, well, rather we like it or not, or rather, you know, what maybe it's time and evolution, yoga in some way has been become a form of physical exercise, but mm. you're able to assess or actually start learning about these deeper intelligence that, you know, all the teachers that you mentioned, actually then they ask something else, because as you said, it become a transferable skills that you can take back to not only the exercise that we do, but also everything else in life. And I think that is kind of adding value onto what we do and how we be and how we live. I think that is that that it has more transferable skill. Let me to put it this way. Yoga has more transferable skills than pure form exercise. Right. <laughs> Good conclusion. Good conclusion. Good to speak to you this evening. And um hey, look forward to catching up next time. You too. See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay.